You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. It's Tuesday the 15th of November coming to you this morning from TW11 before heading to Bahrain for the rest of the week. Uh, there was a new governance structure announced in British racing yesterday morning. It took place at around about 11.30, 11.45 uh, on a call to various members of the media. I was on it, so was Lydia Hislop, who will have been taking notes a lot more assiduously than I was, I suspect, or at least I hope. Lydia, we're going to hear, hear, hear in a minute from... Um, you're thinking that's not difficult, I know. Uh, you're th- we're going to hear in a minute from David Armstrong, who is a BHA board member, and he's the chief executive, as you know by now, of the Racecourse Association, the RCA. Uh, Lydia, what has the industry come up with to try and reshape its governance structure? Uh, well, they have created three new committees and disbanded two other ones. And in particular, the members committee was seen in particular as a hindrance to progress due to um the the power of veto so things could die around the table of the members committee before they were given um, sufficient oxygen the executive committee is also out and replacing them is a commercial committee an integrity advisory committee and an industry program group and they all feed directly into the BHA board and the BHA board um, is being positioned by some as uh, the ultimate dis- becoming the ultimate decision making body I was of the view that it always was that. But anyway, we can go into that later. Um, And so what are all these um, committees going to be doing? The the Commercial Committee will oversee the work of the existing Fixtures and Funding Group, the Racing Group and the Gambling Strategy Group and develop areas of the industry strategy with a commercial focus, including the racing product, promotion of the sport and initiatives regarding key stakeholders, such as owners and betters. Uh, The Integrity Advisory Committee will provide strategic advice to the executive, make recommendations to the board on matters relating to the integrity of the sport it'll meet four times a year and the industry program will contribute to strategy relating to horse welfare industry people equality diversity and inclusion corporate social responsibility the sport social license and importantly and good to see written down environmental sustainability and they will meet at least six times a year the overarching message from uh, those who were who were present and we had um charlie parker uh, the chair of the thoroughbred group we had wilf walsh the chair of the race course association uh, we had uh, joe sermeris smith the bha chair and judy harrington the ceo of the bha the overriding message was that this will streamline the decision-making process and remove the power of veto and they believe that this means that uh, decisions uh, that might cause uh, a certain party or parties to feel that they are being hard done by that they are just essentially going to have to suck it up if as a whole um, the BHA board decide as a result of recommendations from those committees that it would be good for the sport as a whole. Okay, I will let that all percolate. And while you do let that percolate, you can listen to the Racecourse Association's Chief Executive, David Armstrong, who, as I said, is also on the board of the British Horse Racing Authority, worth bearing in mind as you listen to this. And I just simply started off by saying, how is this going to make life better? 
Well, I think make it, it'll, it'll make it better in a number of ways, but probably the most important is it will streamline the, the decision-making processes in the sport and eliminate the vetoes that were often in place when we tried to make progress forward. So you'll, you'll be familiar with the construct of the members committee, the old members committee, that was often charged with making those tripartite decisions and quite often progress was limited or none at all, really due to the lack of clarity of structure and the vetoes I mentioned earlier. So those are eliminated and decision making should be quicker and easier. So does that make the BHA more powerful, do you think? Uh, I think it certainly it should do, and what it should particularly do is give BHA greater clarity of purpose and greater opportunity to lead, which of course it's it's wanted to do for for a long time, and that was really what we you know on, within the racecourse side of the equation concentrated on in, in this process is the ability for the BHA to properly lead the sport without other parties getting in the way. So does it make the BHA more powerful? Yes, it does. It also puts more responsibility on the BHA to make those decisions carefully and correctly. Sometimes those decisions might not be entirely to the liking of one stakeholder or another. Um, if you really gravely object to something that the, the board has, has agreed to, are you now powerless to do anything about it? Effectively, yes. So, and, and that's the way that many other governance models would work in that uh, we've got to make sure that uh, any party that's got a strong view on any given issue, make sure those views are heard around the commercial committee table and amongst fellow stakeholders, and that that representation comes forward to the BHA board, and the BHA board will listen carefully to everything that's happened within the committees that support it, particularly the commercial committee, and make its decision based on what it's heard. So there will be moments when it could be it could be race courses, it could be a thoroughbred group. There will be moments when the, when those parties are going to have to put up with it and and live with the consequences of the new structure. I've been here nearly four years now, Nick, and I've watched the members' committee fail to really deliver on what it was tasked to do. There were so many opportunities or so many occasions where we didn't make decisions and things didn't happen that will now be eliminated. So I do think it's better. Yes. David, anyone who's listening to this who thinks, well, I go racing a few times a year, I like to have a bet, this is all, you know, boardroom stuff, why is this interesting to me? Why is this going to make my life better? Well, I think that's going to come through, Nick, in the the way in which the industry strategy is now developed. The shackles are off, if you like, for the BHA in terms of delivering that, creating and delivering that strategy. And that strategy needs to take into account all stakeholders. Um, punters, owners, trainers, race courses, um, race goers, and trying to bring to life a more empowering, a more exciting uh, racing product um, for those for those stakeholders. And this new structure will make that easier to achieve. And part of that, obviously, will involve involve where fixtures are run and when fixtures are run. To what extent now then? Our race course is going to have to devolve responsibility for the fixture list to the BHA. Well, the fixture and funding process will carry on quite in quite a similar way to it is now, um, in that the fixture and funding group, which meets very regularly to devise the fixture list and look at funding options, will carry on doing so, supported by the racing group. But they'll now do that uh, under the supervision of the commercial committee and then passing through to the BHA board. So there will be some difficult decisions to be made. 
just just as there are every year, to be honest, in the fixture list. But they won't be driven by, per se, the governance structure. They'll be driven by the new industry strategy that we're working on and the work within that on racing's future products, which will be easier to enact because of the new governance structure. And Joe Somers-Smith, the new chair of the, of the BHA, or relatively new chair of the BHA, has made much on how racing's um, data stream has been inadequate. Therefore, the data to inform decisions has thus far been inadequate. What are we doing to make that data better and to inform you in a more um, coherent way when it comes to policymaking? Well, as part of the strategy work, one of the work streams within that is about data, about what data we've got, what data we are able to use, and how we can go about sharing data to, to, to produce a better overall product for the sport. And that's not just about betting data, that can be about customers, it can be about owners, it can be about all sorts of things. And there are, there are many ways in which we hold data within the sport, but we don't centrally manage how we put, you know, how we use that to develop strategy. And I think what you'll see, as much as anything out of the industry strategy project, is a whole new approach on using and sharing data. Just explain that for me a little bit. Well, there's, there's a group of people who have been working on what data, the first thing we're doing is to understand what data we've got. And that's actually quite a big exercise in its own right, in that many organizations in the sport hold on to lots of bits of data and it might be valuable to other parts of the sport, but people don't know they've even got it, or it may not be permissioned to use that way. So the first step is to understand what data there is, and, and that's largely complete. Then you've got an exercise that was how can we use that data to, for example, enhance marketing to customers? And what sharing of data would have to take place to allow that to happen, or what permissioning of data needs to happen for that to be okay? So that's what's going on at the moment, is understanding how we would use that data to help grow the sport. Now, that will include information from uh, bookmakers, from the levy board, using some of the data that we first put together when we did Project Enable, in fact, uh, and updating that data as we can. So there'll be an opportunity to share data more. There'll be an opportunity to understand how data can be used in the sport, and that's really where Joe, of course, has been very passionate and there'll be an opportunity for us to build the proper use of data into the industry strategy. David, I can hear people now, more committees, more layers of bureaucracy, more circular conversation. Is there any guarantee of more decisive, greater, clearer action? Offer a, offer a concluding rejoinder to that. Well, I think actually it's, it's much simpler in that the committees, for example, the commercial committee is not the decision-making body. The decision-making powers are now concentrated into the BHA, whereas before they were held in a sort of tripartite structure within the members' committee. So whilst you, there are a couple of new committees put in place to bring together the right expertise to debate and, and push forward on very important topics, the actual decision-making is much simpler and more streamlined and happens at the BHA board table. That was David Armstrong, the Chief Executive of the Racecourse Association. Lydia is still with me. Lydia, perhaps we ought to talk about this practically and politically. Um, from the racing public's point of view, not necessarily industry insiders, what is the most positive manifestation this could have? I suppose the hope 
that the sport from 2024 will have a coherent strategy that translates to a better race course experience, a better viewing experience, a better um, uh, sporting product on which punters can bet, um, that essentially all the things that the, the public love about the sport uh, will be able to strengthen and grow as a result of a strategy that is agreed, but in the short term, nothing. Uh, so chiefly that revolves around where fixtures are placed and how they're how they're comprised i suppose i was quite interested there in in david armstrong's rhetoric and it was echoing some of what julie harrington was saying earlier on where it's a bit of a it's a bit of a time to get tough and if you know if a few noses are put out, out of joint along the way then so be it. it you know before if a nose got put out of joint then nothing could happen now the nose will just stay out of joint and and we'll all drive forward for the good of racing is it as simple as that couldn't happen then and it can happen under this new structure I don't think it is personally. Uh, you know, I'm, I do hope that this this new structure and the, the conversations that have been had in order to achieve it, you know, there seems to be a lot of positive positivity. A lot of the people within the industry seem to think that it will actually structurally be better. So I have to listen to them. But do I feel that uh, it was impossible to achieve anything under the previous structure? No, I think that's a red herring. Do you think that now there is a structure in place that could enable? something akin to the much discussed peter savile plan for example yeah. are they now in a position to actually push that through more effectively than they would have been before tinkering with races putting good stuff on a sunday rejigging the classification of races and that sort of thing yes i mean i as i say i think it's i mean because i feel that the problem before was a lack of will uh, too much self-interest from individual parties um, and a lack of gumption quite often from the British Horse Racing Authority in particular. Um, and that translated to a lack of gumption of the BHA board on on, on certain decisions. Um, I, th I think it still revolves around that. But theoretically, and, and also I, you, you have to acknowledge that the fact that so, so, so many people, so many influential people across the industry have got together, you know, do feel more positive about this, then, you know, yes, yes, I think this is an opportunity. Uh, it, I suppose it doesn't really matter uh, if the old structure was just as viable as the new structure, um, as long as something gets done. I mean, that that's the problem. Talking about things and agreeing on a, on principles and that kind of thing are all very well until it comes down to a, a decision being made and the you know the the people around the table saying, oh yes, you know, for the greater good, for the greater good, and then the finger points at them and they go, oh sorry, what you you mean you mean me? I've got I've got to take the fall. No 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 no. Um, now obviously under this um, structure, um, what they've all been arguing, including David Armstrong on that interview, is that if that person says no 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 no, they're all already tied into uh, the the greater good and and having to to agree to um the industry moving forward that way anyway was there anything in today's press conference that really jumped out and walloped you in the face and you thought either positively of or negatively of 
Well, there was a uh, there was a point um, where uh, Will Walsh um, reminded journalists who were present on the call that the BHA Limited Company is owned by racecourses and horsemen. And there was something that David Armstrong said to you as well in your interview, where you asked whether this leads to a more powerful BHA. And David Armstrong said it should do because it gives them a greater clarity of purpose and a greater opportunity to lead. And that's always what they wanted to do. But he did add there are then becomes more responsibility on the BHA to make decisions carefully and correctly and I suppose I'm always wary of um, uh, you know David Armstrong and Wilf Walsh from the Racecourse Association um, you know if we agree and I think most people agree that across the industry racecourses have had for many years now the most power it seems uh, it's interesting to to hear them both talking to some degree about handing over some of that power to the BHA. Uh, you just wonder what that actually translates to and whether it's just really um, the BHA being even more in the firing line if something goes wrong rather than, you know, because with power comes responsibility. Uh, yeah, I get it. I yeah. get it. So so it's a bit of a careful what you wish for, isn't it? Um, slightly coded coded way of saying careful what you wish for sorry just to some degree but before i mean the bha was had all the responsibility and no power so if there is um or or very limited powers so if there is more power for the bha that is at least better i'm skeptical okay and with all these things it's it's really quite useful and helpful to look at them through the prism of what you're actually experiencing on a, on a race day before you completely lose touch with reality. And I know that's something that you wanted to talk about as regards the experience of going racing at Cheltenham on Sunday. We were both mm-hmm. there in a working capacity over, over the three days in one form or another. Um, do I get the sense that you felt a bit empty by the end of it? No, I wouldn't go that far. I just <laughs> felt that Sunday um, had a, a th- and this this part is nobody's fault. A three runner um, Schler chase where the, with with a, a, a vastly superior odds on favourite who just had to get round, and then uh, there are two major races: the Grade Two um, Skybet Supreme Trial Novices Hurdle and the Great Wood. Uh, both had you know only just over fifty percent of their hurdles being jumped in the end, and then it was just a six race card. So um, I appreciate that there were. Um, uh, elements outside of Cheltenham's control that conspired to do this, but I I do wonder whether there was something that some uh, foreseeable things that Cheltenham could potentially have done. Maybe they should have started their card earlier. They started Saturday's card earlier in, in the knowledge that the low sum was an issue because it was an issue on the Saturday. Um, what what would that be a, a, an option? I mean, I know that hospitality and all of those things don't like it, but if, if essentially the public, the paying public, are getting you know less less than than they should have done for the money that they've paid come to the to go through the door and also if they're watching it on on television i think maybe that has to be given greater weight than um necessarily necessarily any impact on hospitality and i would suggest that as you're able to do it on a saturday why can't you do it on a sunday uh, that that would that would be my view and also coming back you know talking about from a an, a, an objective um customer point of view there were a couple of questions asked i asked one and bill barber from the racing post asked the other about you know where are punters in all of these conversations and joe somer smith who chairs the uh, gambling strategy groups has said that you know he takes he's asked for input from the horse race betters forum and has and that the bha have been um dealing with uh, that its customers directly to try and get some guidance on the new on the new strategy and that that those moves have been made 
but it, and they didn't count out the idea of restructuring um, some of the committees potentially to include that kind of people's voice or punters' voice. But you know that is the kind of thing that you would like to see because you know race courses don't whilst they. Um, obviously want to encourage uh, race goers they don't wholly speak for their customers and betting companies um you know whilst they want to encourage people to bet don't wholly speak for punters obviously there's a large amount of overlap in then in the good experiences that the, 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 that they would all like but you know punters and people who pay to go racing you know need to have that their kind of voice their voice in to the, into all of this and um i i was it's obviously not being planned right now, but they didn't completely dismiss it. And I should also say that all of those committees that uh, I was listening to, uh, listing, feeding into here, there and everywhere, they did also say that there might be some of the lower level committees, not the three new ones that have been um, created, there might be some um, slimming down or certainly a review of what those committees do and whether their purpose might change or be moulded together. And the committee that will meet today, Lydia, is the Committee of the bha judicial panel because finally finally lydia they are <laughs> they're looking into uh Haskoy, who was placed second when he was ridden uh, by frankie dettori in the kazoo st ledger being uh, being judged by the stewards to have uh, improved its placing uh, by checking giavelotto who finished fourth past the post at a crucial stage of the race, that horse becoming badly unbalanced as a result. And so they decided that the ground momentum lost by the fourth was greater than the disparity between him and Haskoy, who finished second. That was three quarters of the length. And therefore, they revised the placings and dropped Haskoy to fourth behind Giovaletto. And that resulted in New London finishing second, all of them, of course, behind Eldar Alderov. So, yes, they will be facing the independent disciplinary panel. Uh, they had a, a, an issue to deal with Monday as well, involving trainer r mike smith mm. uh, and a horse called real smooth to whom mike had given uh, some, uh, some busker pan uh, intramuscularly which you're not allowed to do uh, uh, either in terms of the um, substance or the administration no um he feared that uh, real smooth might be suffering from early symptoms of colic um and he uh, was ruled uh, well, the rules say that he shouldn't have given in a prescription any medicine without a prescription and without prior advice of the vet and furthermore he used an intramuscular injection when only intravenous use is recommended for buscapan and the intravenous injections should only be made uh, by vets uh mike smith has been quite angry about this it would seem he's given quotes to chris cook of the racing post to say to accuse the bha of using a sledgehammer to crack a walnut to fine him two thousand seven hundred pounds for the positive test that red cut that um, real smooth resulted in in Redcar. He acknowledged the administration was a mistake, but defended his decision to act. He said at a weekend when it would have been hard to get a vet to his Ayrshire yard. He argued his diagnostic ability with racehorses was sound and that he had made the right decision as Real Smooth recovered in just a few hours. This is a quote from the article. I think it's absolutely ridiculous, he said. It's taken, me two, it's taken them two years to do it. They're persecuting me for doing something that worked. What chance have you got? OK, I'm wrong because I used the wrong method. But if you're stuck miles away from anywhere, what do you do? I've worked with horses since I was five or younger. I can't help thinking it's a sledgehammer to, to crack a walnut. The horse wasn't harmed in the slightest. He was absolutely fine. Now, the panel took into account that uh, Smith had suffered by having to wait so long for the hearing and reduced his fine from the £3,600 that they would otherwise have imposed. And Charlotte 
Davison, who represented the BHA, put forward the argument at the disciplinary panel. Um, so she explained that delay with being this happened during a time of COVID while people were probably still being furloughed. All investigations, unfortunately, during the past two years have been delayed. It's something the BHA is, of course, working to remedy, but we have to accept two years is too long. Um, Smith argued it also abided by the 72-hour detection time for the drug, as published by the BHA. But James Given, who is the BHA's director of equine welfare and a former trainer, said that detection times are not the same as withdrawal times and that the, the drug could take longer to leave a horse's system depending on circumstances. He also noted that the detection time had been based on intravenous injection rather than the method used on real smooth. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll be honest, I don't know what Mike Smith is complaining about. Uh, I, I think the delay is definitely unfortunate. I think that's a, that's a, a valid point. Um, but uh, he, it, it's clear what, in, what infringements he was guilty of. And Two and a half thousand pounds was his fine. Uh, things could get worse for Christoph Sumiot. We thought the issue with the elbowing of Ross Orion that led to Ross Orion um, being unshipped from his mount in a uh, uh, incident that no one's ever seen the like of before or since at Saint Cloud the day before Arc Day had been concluded with that uh, with his punishment from France Gallo, but maybe not. No, he got a two month suspension from France Gallo, um, and he he apologised immediately for elbowing Ross Ryan out of the saddle, um, and he said that his behaviour had been totally unacceptable, and he lost his job as retained rider to the Aga Khan. But now the Ministry of Interior in France have intervened on behalf of uh, France's gaming police, which are called wonderfully police de jeu. Um, and now there is a possibility uh, it was uh, that, that he have to serve a longer suspension. And it has also been raised um, that he might even have to reapply for his license, although a report in Le Parisien today um, seems to uh, downplay that latter suggestion. Uh, the police have laid out their concerns in a letter um, which was sent from the Ministry to France Gallo. That letter has been passed on to Christophe Soumion. He's got until the 18th of November to respond. Um and the quotes from the letter suggest that, uh, describe it as deliberately dangerous behaviour. There is a serious risk of disturbing public order in the horse racing world. It's a very bad image for French horse racing being relayed worldwide. Very shocking images and behaviour incompatible with the maintenance of a licence. Um, Every licence request from jockeys, trainers and owners, I have learned over this incident, has to be placed before the Ministry of the Interior um, for approval before France Gallo can decide whether they're going to issue a licence. And the police de jure have supervisory powers and have done since 1997 in the area of public order so that they can ask for a suspension to be revisited if an incident or a person has threatened the image of racing in a way that's supersedes the sporting offence committed so it seems like a quite a remarkable turn yeah. of events but with the structure of france um that that is uh, of french racing that is the reason why this has happened um you know the, the racing post also mentions interestingly um that uh, and I, I i don't know where they've got this information for but they've printed that um the case for the in increase in punishment is not just pertaining to that saint clair incident but against and I quote, a series of infractions during the course of 2022. All right, we've been talking about this insane lineup of mares that are heading to the Tattersall Scepter Sessions as part of the, the big breeding stock sale end of this month into the beginning of next. Now there's another one, Princess Zoe, Group 1 winner. What a story she's been as well. Uh, trainer Tony Mullins joins me now just to to talk a little bit about about this and about the the career she's had i mean t tony what's what's prompted the the 11th hour entry to the sale 
Yeah, well, you know, we were hoping to race on again next year and then we felt uh, that even though she's perfectly sound and she could race again next year, felt that Kiprios was such a powerhouse and that uh, we hadn't much more that we felt we could achieve and, you know, just the relief of retiring her sound. She's as sound as a bell. And uh, we felt she had done all she could do on the race course. And now it's the next chapter. Given that she is so sound, do you think there's any possibility that somebody will buy her and think, well, do you know what? They might not want to have a crack, but we'll have another go round. Yeah, I mean, you know, she's open to that. Um, I mean, she is perfectly sound, so and um, that could happen. Uh, I just thought, you know, she's seven, rising eight now, and um, I felt that, you know, she's she's won black type races now, mile and a half, mile and six, two miles, and two and a half miles. You know, people have nicely put her in a little box as a stair. This mare won a listed race in Galway, beating um, a horse of Aidens that was placed in a, an English Oaks. Half. So she's done it at various distances. You know, when you think about it, she's won Group 1, Group 3, listed. She's won in Ireland, England, France, Germany. She's won on hard ground, soft ground, left-handed, right-handed, winter and summer i mean she has just done everything this you know and we felt that there was no more to do not only that she's she's actually made your life quite different over the last few years you know i've been around horses that maybe like like dawn run years ago and a lot of good horses when my father was training i was riding but none of them gave me the pleasure of this one you know because she kept surprising us we bought her to go hurdling and after two bits of work, I rang Paddy and Felimina that said, I think, lads, you won't be going jumping. This is a classy mare. And, you know, we were so surprised because, you know, we, we bought her to go hurdling and um, she just straight away told us, I'm better than that. Uh, and then she kept proving it, you know. So you know, you, you, I'll tell you what. If there are many wealthy people with regularly with good horses, but for us to have one like that was just, you know, you, you just can't imagine the fun that we had. Um, I'll tell you, if there's ever an advertisement for getting into a racehorse, we had some fun with her everywhere we went. And then maybe because she was grey and maybe I'm a small trainer and these things made it but the public latched on to her you know i mean going through the airport or anything when i'd hand my passport to them there they'd say are you the princess zoe man and that you know it, we just never had that even with dawn run i did so just some she caught the public imagination and i just loved it the whole way through anyway it'll be a sad day when i see her go well, Tony, I wish you all the best. I hope she fetches what you want and um, fingers crossed another one comes along. And if you know anybody that wants to leave her here, I'd love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks, Tony.
Thanks, Nick. Bye. All right, today's Tuesday, so we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's, their excellent global stallion app and their stallion book. And there was news last week, you might have read in the Racing Post and elsewhere, that Italy will welcome some new stallions to its ranks in 2023. El Kabir, who's done quite well in Europe, uh, son of Scat Daddy. We're talking about that Scat Daddy line just the other day with Emma Berry on the on the podcast. He's set to join Morpheus, um, Frankel's brother by Oasis Dream in the in the country. And it's all been put together by a, a triumvirate who represents an organization called Renew Italian Breeding. Um, they number Mattia Cadrobi, uh, Guido Bedarelli, and Marco Bozzi. And Marco joins me now. Uh, Marco, just tell me a little bit about this about this project and, and what you're doing and why you're doing it. Hello, everybody. Um, we are uh, trying to get better stallion to Italy uh, that uh, need it. And uh, I have with Guido Berardelli and Mattia Cadrobi, manager of those stallions that uh, um, Kulmer and Alchakab and uh, uh, other stallion uh, owner are willing to send to us to improve our uh, bloodstock. Uh, we bought just, uh, we had two years, three years ago, we had Requinto from Kulmer. Then we had Magician, which he has the record for mare cover in Italy ever. And then last year we had the Rural of the World and, and Cappella San Severo. And this year, together with the Ruler of the World and Morpheus, a uh, new stallion brother to Frankel, we will have El Kabir that uh, it is Cat Daddy Hort that everybody knows. And he was first season sire last year with his first crop. So why is it so necessary now to ensure that there is a fresh injection of blood into into the Italian breeding industry? But because uh, we need Gustalian, we lost a lot of uh, uh, progeny, a lot of uh, uh, stallion during this year. Uh, the best mare, many of our best mare was sold to private auction. So now we are trying to bring new blood, bring new Italian breeders. And you yourself are a, a bloodstock agent of, of repute. You've been in, in uh, Deauville this week at, at Arcana, but you've had a, a big success this year with a, a horse that people will know called Grand Glory, Group 1 performer Grand Glory. Just tell me a little bit about, about her and the story of, of how you came to came to buy her. Yeah, um, I bought her as a yearling for a client of mine in Italy. And then when she won first time out, many people went to went looking for her. And Gianluca Pietolini, which is the trainer, called me and told me that uh, he has many requests. And the owner, my owner, my Italian owner wanted, was willing to sell her. So we call our American client, Mr. Frassetto, Mr. John D'Amato and Mr. Mike Pietrangelo. And the three of them uh, start with this with uh, this fantastic story, buying her and uh, winning Group One races, being uh, placed in the uh, French shows, the Prix de Diane, and then being placed 
fifth in the Japan Cup last year. So then she was sold uh, to a new big client, French client, that uh, enjoy had. He was third. He won Group Three race this year, and then she, uh, he was third in the Prince of Wales in Royal Ascot, and now is going for another venture, uh, the Japan Cup, for the second time. And so hopefully she'll uh, she'll improve the score from last year. And how are you managing to compete this year? The yearling sales have been so strong. We expect the same at the breeding stock sales. Have you found that you're able to, to compete with your with your budget? Uh, but luckily, uh, because of the result, because of the many things, I bought uh, many horses more for more uh, money this year. I was uh, one of the top 10 uh, buyer in Arcana August. I was one of the top 10 buyer in the uh, Arcana October. And uh, I had a lot of new clients from the Saudis uh, to the American. So yes, the, the, the market was stronger this year as everybody have seen uh, because uh, it's, uh, uh, a new wind of uh, money coming from the Middle East, I say, and uh, obviously more from uh, America and from uh, uh, Hong Kong as well. Um, in America, it's, it's particular because every person 50 year old and up want to buy a horse. So that makes... Uh, uh, a big help to the industry. Um, and Marco, just going back to to where we where we started, just looking toward next year, uh, which of the of the stallions you mentioned could make the the biggest difference to Italian breeding? Do you think? Uh, for sure. Last year we had a lot of success with uh, rule of the world. Uh, um, Luckily, the Italian start thinking at breeding of more distance. Uh, this year, I think uh, El Kabir can break the president magician because he's so well known in Italy. Uh, they love good ground. They they are fast. They can stay. Uh, he has a grand criterium winner so they can win and stay uh, even uh, mile and more so I think uh, I'm uh, constantly uh, called from the Italian breeder that want to buy nomination I think he can be the key of the success uh, for the Italian breeding well I wish you all the very best Marco thanks so much for talking to me Thank you very much again for your call and uh, looking forward to see you. Thank you. Okay. Um, thank you very much to Marco and to my guests today. Lydia is still here. And Lydia, before we go, we've got to talk about Warwick, which mm. tomorrow hosts an absolute humdinger of a novice chase, which you don't often see midweek these days. I gave it a, a shout yesterday, but it's now confirmed Montmiral versus West Cork and most significantly, Le Jambon. Mm. Uh 
Yes, I think uh, West Cork might struggle in these circumstances, particularly as he jumped wildly right on his debut behind stage star at Warwick last time. Um, but maybe he'll learn from his experiences. Obviously, he's a talented horse intrinsically. But in John Bon, you have got the horse who beat El Fabiolo at Aintree and was second behind Constitution Hill in the Supreme. He's making his chase debut. And Mon Mural, who was a top class, the best four-year-old two seasons ago, also winning at Aintree, the four-year-old race. Um, and had a disappointing um, second album um, but is now ready to do the thing that he is made to do in my opinion he looks like a chaser so he'll be making his chase debut having been taken out due to fast ground uh, good ground sorry too fast ground um, for him um, at uh, Cheltenham over the weekend Uh, the interesting thing is that I've checked a couple of forecasts and Warwick seemed to be due a lot of rain tomorrow, which will be good news for for many people. I hope it's spread evenly around the around the nation, but particular good news for Warwick because they will obviously be wanting Monmiral to run, given there's only three runners here, and uh, I think that Monmiral will beat John Bond. Whoa, really? Yep. That's a big goal. What? Uh, what? Why? Because I, I, I'm just very excited about Monmiral. I was at the end of his four-year-old season. I thought he looked, he reminded me of Clander's Oboe, just how he went through his racing. And he was a much better juvenile than Clander's Oboe. He's built to be a chaser. I think he's probably going to be a top-class two-mile chaser. Um, maybe even stay, stay a little bit further. I, I, that's not, it's not to knock John Bon in any way. I'm a big fan of John Bon. And, you know, I, I can't have all the, oh, you know, he, he, his, his pre-race antics and all the things that upset his rider, Aidan Coleman. Um, I don't I don't buy into that at all I think he's a really talented horse that gives his running and is is straightforward in the run as well um, I, it's just it's more of a question of how much I regard Mon Miral as anything anti John Bond okay right well that's that it, it only serves to whet my appetite further for that race the high fly bloodstock novices chase which takes place at Warwick tomorrow Wednesday and you've got a tip for me for today no I'm I'm, doing, I'm going to give an anti-post tip actually oh um, well, we were meant to be learning a, a lot about the two-mile chasing division, weren't we, over the over the weekend? And in the end, we learned zip because Edwardston didn't run. So uh, Nibinegra pretty much walked over, beat two vastly inferior rivals. Fernie Hollow didn't run because of the ground. And Gentleman Demi did run, but rather flopped and was beaten even before he unseated. Uh, it, everything seems to me to point towards... Um, Greenatine being a great bet for the Tingle Creek. You can still get seven to four, and I think that's a good price. I'll be to be perfectly honest. Obviously, Shishkin's uh, exercised at Newbury today, but uh, and Edwardston might be redirected towards Sandown, but he's got to prove himself up to that level. And I think Greenatine, his win in the Holden Gold Cup suggested that he is better than ever. I think he's going to have a very good season. He's also twenty one for the Queen, twenty to one for the Queen Mother Champion Chase. I don't think that's the daftest bet in the world. I mean, obviously, Enerkemen is the one to beat. That was, you know, he sets a dizzyingly high standard. And if Shishkin, if Shishkin comes to back to his best after his issues, then he would be um, something. A whole to beat as well but in terms of if you look down the list anti-post for uh, the Queen Mother Champion Chase uh, Greenestine seems to me to have uh, a far more substantial profile than the horses that are shorter than him in the market and you know from the stable that he's from he's never done improving so (laughs) he just could keep getting better and better and better and better and better Uh, Lydia thank you so much thank you very much for listening that was the podcast for Tuesday the 15th of November I will see you again tomorrow bye bye
You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.